everyone. This is Jake Milwee. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you would ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's so good to be back with y'all. Happy New Year. It is the first Sunday of Advent, which on the church calendar is our church New Year. The first Sunday of Advent, Advent marks the beginning, day one, of the liturgical church calendar that the church across the world follows. So we are joining with churches far and wide today as we celebrate Advent. We begin today with with the first Sunday of Advent, which will conclude after four Sundays and culminate in Christmas. But Happy New Year! Because that is what today is for the church in many ways. The church calendar begins with Advent. We begin with waiting and longing and more waiting and more longing. And you think about how we've kind of structured like New Year on January 1 for our calendar New Year. You kind of go into January 1 ready. You've done the waiting and now you're ready because the New Year has come. The church's New Year is not that way. We begin in darkness in a lot of ways. We begin in waiting and anticipation, perhaps even with some questions, with some longings, with some doubts even. And that's what we kind of bring together today. That's what we bring before God today. That's what we bring to our community today as we begin Advent, this waiting, this longing. The first Sunday of Advent is traditionally um, a day where we focus on hope, So before we begin today, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, but before we begin, let me ask you this question, and this question is going to kind of come up multiple times this morning. What are you hoping for? It seems maybe even like a little bit of a cheesy question, or or maybe something like what you would ask your kids, but, but what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for beyond something like, oh, I'm hoping maybe it doesn't rain on the day we've scheduled our family Christmas pictures, or I'm hoping it doesn't, you know, do this, or I'm hoping I pass all my classes this semester. Beyond something like, what are you in the marrow of your bones hoping for? Maybe you've held on to something that feels a little tender, or that feels maybe even a little painful. What are you hoping for? As we enter into this new season of the church, as we enter into this new season of waiting, The question ever before us kind of is God asking us, what are you hoping for? So before I pray this morning, just kind of hold on to that question because it's going to come up over and over again. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at some parts of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Mary's song, which is traditionally called the Magnificat. And it's Mary's praise back to God and her just kind of erupting in worship after she has been told that she is going to bear a son. So let's pray, and then we are going to be off to the races with Luke chapter 1. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you, in just your infinite mercy and wisdom, would you help us be a people who can wait, who aren't trying to outrun you and rush forward and solve all the world's problems on our own, but God, a people who are so confident in you and your mission that we can wait And that we can, even in the waiting and even in the longing and even in the kind of darkness sometimes, that we can be a hopeful people. So God, would you help us this morning? Would you, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures to us so that at the end of all this, hopefully we walk away with a better understanding of you, God, and with a better understanding of ourselves and the mission that you've called us to in this world as we 
want to be more and more formed into the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, you, this is Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 are traditionally passages that we read. Tis the season, right? This is what we read. This is, you know, if you need a go-to passage, this is where a lot of people are going. But Mary's song, the Magnificat, which is starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, is Mary's proclamation back to God after she has been told that she will bear a son. And she's to call his name Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sins. And Mary, this angel comes to Mary. You guys know the story. And he's like, don't be afraid, which is God's message. Every time God shows up with a message for God's people, don't be afraid. And Mary treasures these things and kind of thinks on them. And then she just bursts out into song when she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist. And this is what Mary says. Let's read it together. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46, says this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud even in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then verse 56 says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. Mary's song, Mary's proclamation about who God is and about what God is doing and about how God intends to do business in the world is a great kind of blueprint, I think, for us as we take a step forward into this new season of the calendar of the church as we wait for the birth of Jesus, just like Mary is. Mary is awaiting the birth of something that's going to shake and shatter and also mend the entire cosmos. And that's what we're also waiting for. So we are sitting kind of in a waiting room with Mary. <laughs> that's kind of the season of Advent. That, that's what it kind of erupts in us. We are waiting alongside of a generation and with a people who back in the day of the gospels had been waiting for God to open God's mouth for over 400 years. God had been silent. And into the silence, God begins to speak to just a few people here and there and Mary can't help but just erupt with worship. So what does she say? What is significant about this? Well, in verses 49 through 50, the first few verses here, she focuses on three different aspects of God's character. She focuses on three different aspects, his power, his holiness, and his mercy. God's power, God's holiness, and God's mercy. Let's, let's take a look. Verse 46, 48, let's start there. It says, for, for God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's talking about herself. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things. The mighty, she identifies God as the mighty one. She focuses on his power. She focuses on things that he has done in the past. He has done great things. Mary is able to position herself in the present, looking forward to the future because of what she knows God has done in the past. She is able to ground and root herself in a spirit of hopeful anticipation and worship 
because she knows the identity of the God who has promised these things. So she brings to mind God's power. The mighty one has done great things for me. Then she focuses on God's holiness or on God's name. She says that holy is his name. Now, those of you who have kids, I know you did not flippantly name your children. I know you, you thought about it. Maybe you even had some disagreements with your spouse about it as you kind of, and you're like, well, can we settle on that being the middle name type of things? I don't know how you came to these decisions, but what I do know is that you don't name something lightly. Even today, we don't do this flippantly, right? But back then, they definitely didn't do things flippantly. Someone's name was someone's identity. Beyond like what's on their social security card, it, it said something about them as a person. So for Mary to identify God as saying, holy is his name, not only is she saying God is holy, she's saying one of the identifying, one of the most just markable traits about God is that he is holy. He is other. He is somehow incredibly, wonderfully different than we are. He is set apart. So she focuses on God's power. She focuses on God's name or God's holiness. And then she focuses on God's mercy. And she says that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now remember, Mary is part of a generation of which there have been many preceding hers that have been waiting for God to speak. When the Old Testament closes, we get about 400-ish years of silence. There's not really a whole lot of prophetic activity. There's stuff happening in history, of course, but there's a reason that we have a break. <laughs> there's not a whole lot happening. The people of God, Israel, is waiting for God to show up. They are waiting for the Messiah. They are waiting for God to step back onto the scene and say, Act 2, <laughs> or something to that effect and say, we have a plan, I'm doing something. I haven't forgotten you, you're not abandoned. Even though it says in the Old Testament that a people who are walking and sitting in darkness will eventually see a great light, they are still very much in the darkness waiting and longing and hopeful. So Mary focuses on God's power, God's holiness and God's mercy. These are the, some of the first things on her lips when she realizes that that waiting and that longing is about to end. So I ask you again, what are you hoping for? What are you hopeful for? Mary and the nation of Israel was hopeful that their Messiah was actually going to come, was actually going to do something about the situation they were in. And so once Mary begins to see tiny little glimpses of how God's going to do that, she just erupts in this praise and this song and just says true things about God, which is really what worship is. It's us saying true things about God back to God. There's a reason worship isn't about us, but she focuses on his power, his holiness, and his mercy. And then she goes on because Mary knows the story that she's been caught up in, and she begins to point back to things that God has done over and over and over again. Look at verse 51. She starts by saying, hey, here's what it looks like when God sets up his kingdom. Here's what it looks like when God is on the move. Let's take a look. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud, even in their inmost thoughts. Not only the, the prideful who are just kind of arrogant and boastful on the outside, but those of us who have kind of secret pride on the inside cannot stand in the face of this powerful, holy, merciful God. So when God's kingdom comes to bear, the proud gets scattered. Verse 52. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This is kingdom economics at play right here, folks. Verse 53, 
He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is what Mary is saying. Hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what God's always been in the business of doing. God seems to be really, really passionate about people who are on the margins, about people whose society excludes, about the poor and the helpless and those that sometimes we would rather not really think about. God seems to be really concerned with them. And Mary, as a woman at this period of time, and at this point, an unmarried woman really gets this. She's like, I'm pretty much all of these things. And she's able to say, God is going to do something about it. God is doing something about it because the way that God runs his kingdom is very different than the way the world runs its kingdoms. And then at the very end of her song, she roots all of this. All of this is rooted in the identity of God as the same God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, Elijah, all of them. And she roots it in that reality in verse 54 He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Think back with me. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Abraham gets called and God says, hey, I'm going to make you some promises. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make an agreement with you, a binding agreement with you that I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm going to uniquely call you Abraham and your descendants, not for the exclusion of everyone else, but for their blessing and ultimately for their inclusion in what I am doing. And Mary looks all the way thousands of years back and points to that and says, God is still doing that even today and I'm a part of it now. So again, I ask you, what are you hopeful for? What are you hopeful for? as I was kind of just doing some personal preparation to kind of step into the season of Advent, I started just meditating on different scriptures that talk about hope. Some of them are super well-known. Some of them are less well-known. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I'm going to read four passages that talk about hope because I think it's going to help situate our brains and kind of get us into a place where we are ready to be hopeful, even though sometimes it feels like we're still waiting in the darkness. Even though sometimes, like I said at the beginning, some of those things that are coming to your minds when I ask you what you're hopeful for, they're tender things. There may be painful things. There may be things that you're like, I have no more prayers left to pray about this thing. So let's look, about what, let's look at what the scriptures have to tell us about hope because we serve a God who's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Take a look at Romans chapter five, verses one through five. This is what Paul says in Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So hope is a good thing. Hope, unfortunately, however, is seems to be, according to Paul, forged from the ashes, <laughs> which doesn't make much sense to us. It seems like you should have hope and then it produces all of these other things. 
But Paul switches it and says, no, at the end of all of this, at the end, the last thing we are clinging to is hope. And Paul says, and that hope is not going to put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has changed us. And the spirit is present with us. Okay, let's take a look. We're going to go a little further into Romans, Romans chapter 15. If you want a verse during this Advent season to cling to and to meditate on, let me offer you this verse. Let me offer you Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again, okay? This is maybe our Advent verse to cling to. May the God of hope, the God who is at the end of all those other things that Paul just mentioned, the God that you are clinging to and hope, may that God, the God who was the God of Abraham as well, may he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that with the end goal being that you will overflow with hope because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, that's New Testament. Let's take a look at the uh, two Old Testament verses. Let's take a, look, take a look at Isaiah. This is part of the reading that you guys did this morning. Isaiah chapter 40. I grew up in a Christian school, and one of these verses that I'm about to read to you was our school verse, and we had a song that went with it. I will not sing you that song because I love you. Um, but please know that I know a song for this verse. But let me read a few of these. Because talking about hope, talking about waiting and longing. Isaiah chapter 40, we're gonna start in verse 28, says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. There it is again, the weak being lifted up. Even youths, even young people grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Hoping in the Lord produces what appears to be a lot of good things. (laughs) Take a look at the Psalms. We can't talk about hope without looking at the Psalms. This is the last one. Psalm 33 The psalmist says this, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love. We trust, we hope in that love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? Just like Mary is able to be ready to bear God into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit, so too are we just kind of sitting on the edge of a precipice waiting And once December 25th hits and we experience just this explosion of God into the world in this beautiful way, let me tell you that even in that moment, some of the things that you're thinking of right now that we're hoping for, those aren't gonna magically come to be on December 25th. You know this to be true. You've experienced this before. But the bearing of Jesus into the world changes all of that. 
It lets us wait in hope. It lets us be people who even when we're sitting in what seems to be darkness, even when we're sitting in what seems to be season after season with no answers and with no response and with just this kind of like just droning silence, it lets us be a hopeful people. Why? Because remember the Romans passage is because God loves us, because we've been filled with the Spirit. And because God is never changing, because of God's unfailing love towards us, because God that we are worshiping, that we sing about today, that we are waiting for to come again, is the same God who made promises to Abraham, is the same God who said, let there be light. That same God is the one Mary is worshiping when she says that he is mighty and he is holy and he is merciful. So when I ask you what you're hoping for, Even in that hope, let me encourage you to remember and for us to just remember collectively as we wait together that God is powerful and holy and merciful. There's a commentator that says this, says only because the mighty Lord has done mighty things is there a good story or a gospel, is there a good news to tell? Only because the past tenses which speak of God's deeds are there, can we now proclaim a gospel? It is because of God's unfailing love and because of God's unfailingness to be present with God's people, just like Mary is singing about, God is coming, the King is coming. And because of that good news, because there was a first advent and because we're waiting now in this great second advent, can we be a hopeful people? Can we be people who, because of what God has done, we can bear hope into the world? There's another commentator who says this. He says, communities, that's us, where people are filled with the Spirit, we will bring chaos to a world ordered by the empire, and our praises will be the songs of protest. Our worship, just like Mary erupted in, when she's saying, hey, the systems of this world and the things that you are hoping against because it's just weighing you down and it's just messing with God's plan in, in your life. And you're like, I just, I, I, I have to let this go. I have to set this down so I can be all in. I can look at Jesus. When we begin to do that, the systems of this world begin to fall by the wayside. And as we begin to become people more enraptured and more involved in the kingdom of God, we become more hopeful people. And the world desperately needs that. Even more so now, maybe even than a year ago, which was, which was hard. Even more so now, maybe in this Advent, do we need hope? Do we need Advent? Do we need the promises that God is powerful and holy and merciful? So I ask you one more time, what are you hopeful for? And maybe if you're like, man, I need to have some of my hopes expanded. Would you just kind of pray that God would expand your heart and give you a big, big vision of his plan and your place in it? Is this the same God that Mary worshiped? It's the same God that made promises to Abraham. Happy New Year. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, God, we as Christians can and should be the most hopeful people on the planet because we know what you're doing and we can, our, we can find ourselves in the grand story you're telling. And it should change us. So, God, as we enter into this beautiful season of just waiting, 
in these four weeks of, of hope and love and peace and joy, God, would you reveal yourself more and more to us? Would you help us just like Mary did? Would you help us in our own unique ways and the ways you've called us bear God into the world and reflect you into the places that we find ourselves? In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.